Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, my guest this hour is Dr. Joy Pugh. We're going to be talking to Dr. Pugh about her new book, Eden, The, the Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666. And joining me now all the way from Georgia is Dr. Joy Pugh. Dr. Pugh, always a great pleasure talking to you. How are things in Georgia this evening? Well, it's very pretty and warm, and the sun shines out, so we're real thankful. But we are needing some rain. We're getting into that drought oh. season again, and right now that's not a good thing. So we're looking for rain, hopefully, in the next couple of days. Well, hopefully somebody out there listening knows how to do a rain dance, and uh, they'll be able to help you out there. Send no, it our way. <laughs> send it your way. Uh, Dr. Pugh, for the listeners who may not have had the pleasure of listening to you the last time you were with us here on the Exxon, can you tell us about yourself? Well, my doctorate is in education, uh, administration, and supervision. And my past history as far as being able to do research began mm -hmm. when I was a child 
because I had an unusual dream about the end of time. And from that particular time on through my life, through college and through working on different different degrees, which I have as far as psychology, I really wanted to understand what the the decisions we make as far as our choices between good and evil, how they affect our lives and how that plays out as far as end times. And so I studied, and when I would do my researches and and, uh, thesis and things like that in school, Mm -hmm. I would particularly look at things that would allow me to do a little bit of research into the areas that had some connection to that. And from that point, I was really doing it uh, as a way to answer questions that I could not find answered in any just any particular book, one book would not answer this or whatever. So I started looking at a lot of different disciplines and trying to find answers to the questions, and that's what I put together in my book, Eden, is really all the questions that I had and where I found different answers to be able to tie together why we're here and why good and evil is so important and what we need to know about good and evil as far as our choices in life. So it led me to write this book, Rob, and... um, when I when I was doing the research, I never dreamed it would be a book because I was really doing it really for myself. <laughs> I, I noticed, Doctor, that uh, you've got the number 666 in the title of your book, you know, Eden, the knowledge of good and evil, 666. Where does the number 666 come from, and why is it associated with evil? Well, in, in looking at the research, of course, that's the reason I put it in my title, was that I wanted to let people know that my particular research goes from the Garden of Eden to the end of time. And we typically have heard, because the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, mentions that there would be a beast that would come to power Mm -hmm. kind of at the end of days, and that his name would actually have a numerical value of 666. And so that is why I incorporated the 666 into the title of my book so that when you look at it, you don't think I'm just talking only about the Garden of Eden because what happens is when you do this this research like I have done, right. you see that there are parallels between the mm-hmm. actually the end of time and the beginning of time. Tell me, Doctor, do you believe that we are into the end times? Yes, I really do. And having looked at what the other uh, aspects are out there as far as research that has been done are bringing to the table, and that mm-hmm. is, for example, the 2012, the Mayan prophecies, the right. Hopi prophecies, the rattlesnake prophecies. Now, there is a lot of things that tie in to the times in which we live, not only biblically through either the Old Testament works and the New mm-hmm. Testament works, but there's just so many other, what I would say, non-biblical types of information that ties to a time that we're getting very close to. And I think it's important to know that there's a lot of things pointing us to look at the sun, moon, and stars and where we're at uh, galactically within the universe. All right, Doctor, please stand by. You and I have to take our first break. Exonation, our very special guest this hour is Dr. Joy Pugh. She is the author of Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666. Her website is www.drjoye.com. We'll be back. Don't go away. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2.00. 
Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Joy Pugh is our special guest this hour. We're talking to Dr. Pugh about her new book entitled Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666, com. Tell me, doctor, where did good and evil all begin? Well, the first indications that we have were that, according to Genesis, that it was in a tree that was found within the Garden of Eden. And I found that interesting mm-hmm. because of the fact that prior to all of that, that it seemed that everything had been created quite well and nothing had been mentioned of, of evil until we get to that particular area, area that it is actually mentioned to us. And then we find that once someone eats from it, and of course we know in the, in the biblical sense it was Eve who ate from the tree, and that is what allowed evil to come into the world. If we look at that, and I've tried to understand the importance mm-hmm. of what was going on, could evil be a part of good? And I'm, on my research page, if you go to my website and you go to my research page, you will find that I have three different pictures of, and under just the da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci, I have a picture of him there that he did a sketch of himself. Mm-hmm. And we began to do some research to look at how could it be that you could hide evil within good. And looking at his work, because it's been such, it's been used so many famous times on things like the History Channel, and, and mm-hmm. I did something with this in regard to um, the History Channel as far as the Nostradamus effect. But we were talking about like the deluge and things of that nature that Devo- actually Da Vinci actually painted. And what I found in doing some inversions, because Da Vinci was noted for doing inversions and mirror imaging, I was able to find that within his paintings are these terrible evil symbols. But yet, when you look at the painting, all you see is a very beautiful painting, a good painting. Most of them are Christian paintings. And that concerned me greatly, Rob, was because these evil symbols were there and right in a line, and there was nothing good in them. And I'm like, why and how did this man do this? And he did not have the capabilities that we have with a computer. So he was doing it with some type of mirror image imaging. And like we know, he in most of his writings, he wrote backwards. 
And at first, people thought, well, it was uh, dysphasia or dyslexia that he mm-hmm. had, but I don't think so. He was actually looking in a mirror and then writing it backwards. So in his paintings, he did the same thing. And, and so I put those up on, my, on the website there under my research so that people can see these inversions and see for themselves how important it is to understand that within something that we might look at that's good, it can be looking back at us as evil. I was wondering if you could explain to me how you see the the Garden of Eden and the creation of man. And and when we look at the Bible and we read the book of, of Genesis, how how realistic is it? Or is it just a metaphor for what is believed to have happened? Well, at first, when I began studying this, I kind of did a foundation based on what I had been led or taught as a young person in regard to what happened in the garden. The more that I did the research on this and being able to compare it to the end of time, I saw that there was a theme that went through the Bible concerning adultery Mm -hmm. and whoredom, and that it ended itself up doing the same thing in the book of Revelation. So when I went back and really looked at what was happening there in the garden, I found that once Eve had this relationship with the so-called serpent, who seemed to be a little bit different because he had supposedly some capabilities to make Eve not afraid, but to be willing to trust the knowledge that he was giving to her. My question was, why did he do that, and how did she fall victim to it? And the more that I looked at it, then I began to see that the curse that God gave was in relationship to her and the serpent, and that he went on to say that her conception, and I'm like, okay, she hasn't had any sexual contact apparently at any point, but now God is also giving a curse to her and her seed as well as the serpent. And his, and his seed. And then I look a little bit further into this, and I find that there are other books, not only the Bible, but other books outside of the Bible that start talking about that the serpent has actually had some type of sexual experience with, with Eve. And then that rings a bell to hold true, because as you go further into Genesis, mm-hmm. you find that there is, in chapter 6, some verses that were very unsettling to me as I read that, where it says the sons of God came upon the daughters of man, mm. and that they had these giants. And I'm like, well, if the DNA was perfected in Adam, of which Eve was taken out of, how did that DNA spawn anything that would be unusual, like a giant, because we know that the giants were huge individuals, that they typically had six fingers and six toes, and that they were devourers, that they they ate at flesh and blood, and they were just evil. And we can see that even being played out in all the Greek and Roman mythology. So That's I'm right. Like, so there's a possibility mythology is true and not false. Well, doesn't, doesn't mythology outdate... Uh, Christianity, anyway? Well, you know, there's always been the speculation in regard to when the flood occurred. Because if I look back and mm-hmm. you look at the Cain lineage, you yeah. see that they were already doing buildings, and, and they were into a lot of what I would call uh, sacred and harmonic geometry-type things. And once that we have now got the technology that we have found under many of our oceans, there are huge megalithic structures there. So how did those structures all of a sudden get under 
water. So something had to have happened. So we talk about, you know, where um, there has been speculation that Plato wrote about Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if we find these other megalithic structures all around the world underwater, and we're finding more and more, Graham Hancock has done a great job of being able to show through his research that there's many, many capable-type you know, capable blocks and things down there that really are implicating that they were built by human hands or used with design. So we can't really say that the flood never happened because what made the those particular, I guess, areas go underwater when it, when it seems to me that then we've got some that are hidden in jungles that we're finding, but the fact that those are under the water makes you wonder how much of the Greek-Roman mythology could have been even prior to the flood. I was wondering if you could explain to me how evil got through the flood and its connection to Ham and his lineage. Well, it's interesting to me because I have always heard, and I did a lot of research into Masonic old texts that mm-hmm. tried to say that Ham had had a homosexual relationship with Noah during a time that Noah was supposedly uh, drunken from uh, the, the vineyard that he planted. And the more that I looked at this, Rob, I began to cross-reference uh, using some cross-reference books in Scripture and found out that a lot of the cross-reference would take me to the same time of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah when they left Sodom and Gomorrah, and the mother turned around and looked, and she was turned to a pillar of salt, but the father and his two daughters went on. But what happened was they got their father drunk and had sex with him and then brought forth children from their own father. And it was cross-referenced in several of the old biblical texts that I found in regard to Noah. So as I look back, I found that in Scripture it would say that that Noah was the son of Ham, Japheth, and Shem. And then it would say, right in that same Scripture, it would say, but Canaan is uh, the son, or Ham is the father of Canaan. And I felt that unusual. It was almost like he had been implicated as being one of Noah's sons. So when I look back at this, and I saw that the nakedness was used in the same context, it made more sense that Ham had actually gone in and slept with Noah's wife, which I believe was his mother. The reason I believe that now is that the other text that I found in regard to Nimrod, who was also a grandson of Ham, Nimrod married his mother, and that's where we get the Black Madonna cult with the son and the mother being worshipped. So it seems that that particular information would carry itself even back into the Cain lineage before the flood, and I think that is how the the people who came out of the flood, mm-hmm. as far as Nimrod, who was building the Tower of Babel, and all the reintroduction of the harmonic geometry and the architecture, megalithic architecture, reestablished itself with these same fallen angels. Was sleeping with your mother, marrying your mother, common in those days? Well, it apparently was as far as Nimrod mm. uh, and Ham, because it seems that, uh, according to the Black Madonna cult, even Isis and um, Osiris, we, we see that follow itself on into Egypt, where the mother actually has a son who is in the image or a clone of the father. 
there's a real connection in there that's very, very, very strange. And the Black Madonna is something that has been worshipped all through history, and it is still worshipped. Even the Pope, when he was visiting uh, in America not too long ago, CNN was showing him, and he went into a facility and bowed down before a Mary, and that they got a glimpse, just caught a glimpse with the camera, and it was a Madonna dressed in black. So we have to be real, real eye-opened about what is going on with this black Madonna cult. Even in the movie that Mel Gibson did mm-hmm. in regard to the Passion of the Christ, he dressed his so-called serpent in a Madonna black outfit, almost looking like she was a homorphodite, male and female, which would be yes. in one body. And that's, that's very significant, and I really go into detail about that in my book, Eden. Doctor, please stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Explanation, Dr. Joy Pugh is our special guest this hour. Her new book, Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666. Visit her website, interesting site, jam-packed, filled with information at www.drjoye.com. That's drjoy.com. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon Worldwide. 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, exxonradiotv.com. We'll be back after the news. Don't go away. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network. UK High Definition Radio. Euro High Definition Radio. And Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.
Dr. Joy Pugh is our special guest, Textual Nation. She is the author of Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666. Her website is www.drjoy.com. That's D-R-J-O-Y-E.com. Before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about Cain's lineage uh, through Ham's lineage after the flood doctor. And I was wondering, what role did these lineages play in building megalithic monuments around the world? Well, apparently, those particular individuals, that lineage, had some capabilities that were quite magnificent. In fact, most of the megalithic structures that we have that are still standing from technological standpoint, we cannot, as, to, as of today, be really able to build something of that magnitude with that type of precision. And I have always found it quite interesting that someone could have been a caveman and and way that we have been taught before the flood and things like that, that we were very, I guess, not capable. It makes one wonder when you look at those megalithic structures and the tons of uh, poundage that each one of the blocks weighed, and then to be able to put them in position high up in the air mm-hmm. makes one wonder how was that, was that really a capability. There's always been speculation that they used ropes and different kinds of uh, equipment that, to me, just is impossible to be able to do. And most of the people who've looked at it from a real professional standpoint will tell you that those particular uh, megalithic buildings are still really beyond our, uh, our capability as far as being able to do it with the type of you know, computers and, and then, of course, the type of um, instruments that we have today. So if you look at that, you wonder, well, how in the world did they come up with this kind of capability, this, this architectural science? And when you look back, you start finding out, especially in biblical and in, even in other texts like that, didn't, or that are not in, in the Bible, for example, Enoch, uh, the book of Enoch, the secrets of Enoch, you find that there is mention of these watchers having capabilities that were able to come and teach. And I find it really kind of interesting, even in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which I go into in my book Eden, how those people were seen as sages that actually taught man civilization. And even if you look at some of the writings Mm -hmm. from uh, Zachariah Sitchin in regard to the Sumerians, you find that they were a certain type of people, but yet they learned their civilization techniques and their building techniques from these sages that apparently came out of the water. Now, I find that interesting because even looking at Nimrod and some of the architectural drawings of him that still exist, you find that they drew him as a half-man and a half-either fish or reptilian type of skilled individual. And it seems that if you look at the people who were learning how to build these megalithic structures, that the, the type of little gods or images that we have found and dug up, their supposed gods had very serpentine features. And I find that very, very interesting that there's a connection with all the megalithic buildings around the world to a serpent. Let's just take, for example, the uh, megalithic structures that are down in Mexico and South America. Most all of them have a serpent that is involved with the building. And if uh, you look at even the drawings, will have like a serpent that comes up and goes down. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that in 2012, the big thing is the return of Quetzalcoatl, who is 
and in, in has been prophesied to return, the name of Quetzalcoatl is the feathered serpent. So there is a connection to serpent lineages having been a part of what all that's about. So they had to receive, in my opinion, the information from a serpent lineage. And the only one that exists, as far as we know, through Sumerian texts and through the Bible, would be through Cain's lineage. Is there a connection between the serpent lineage and the reptilians that many people are claiming to have had contact with uh, while having UFO experiences? Well, I do draw that conclusion uh, in my book, Eden, because I think that the UFO phenomena is very, very important for us not to push aside, but to pay very close attention to. And the reason is, is that when people are having these abduction experiences, the majority of people who actually have contact with a so-called another race will typically say that those beings that they deal with, that they're not just the little greys that look like little clones and they're all the same, they're dealing with something that looks reptilian. And most times they will either say that they were able to shape-shift and look like a, let's say, a tall Nordic person or somebody that looks human. And the problem with that is that we know that through the biblical context that it tells us to be careful about entertaining strangers because you may be entertaining angels. And in the Bible, many of the angels that came to people, for example, in the days of Abraham and in the days of Lot, the people that were angels were actually said to have looked like men. And so we can't say that something's not similar because we have it already in Scripture and an old text telling us that these things are here with us and that they do have the capability of changing and coming into the physical realm and then going back, let's say, into a spiritual realm or either in a what I would call a higher harmonic um, vibrational state that we can't see them. And it does concern me because there is a direct connection, Rob, between that and what people are seeing as far as abductions are concerned. Doctor, I was wondering if you could tell me about the pineal gland and how does advanced technology affect the gland? Well, that's really important because I don't think a lot of people really understand that we have this strange little gland that sits in our forehead mm-hmm. that has always been called the third eye by, by the secret societies of the world. And anyone that's been initiated into those societies have either, if they've gone past like the 33rd degree or whatever, they have been subjected to a vibratory state that would allow that gland to open up and they would think they have been illuminated. That's where you get the illuminated context of the third eye. And in doing this research, I found that if you look at that in great detail, you find that that little gland is mentioned a lot in the megalithic structures and some of the archaeological finds that I have uncovered. And that is that the gland looks like a little pine cone. And it opens and it shuts and it kind of flickers when it's in a vibratory state. And in regard to that, it seems that 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 gland may have some indication as far as being uh, manipulated in some sort of way because the electronic and and electromagnetic capability If you use that, if you beam that at this particular gland, it will incite a person. In other words, they will go into a similar state that they would do if they were sitting, let's say, in a a yoga position doing, you know, using the word arm and with the vibratory state would allow that to open up. You can also use that and make that happen by using electromagnetic transmissions. And I know that I'm a member of uh, MUFON, Mm -hmm. and I know that in one of the... um, 
the recent journals that came out that there was some research that was being done by a man, and he believed that the these aliens that people are seeing are actually using some variety of electromagnetic transmission, and that it's being beamed at the brains of the abductees, which would actually render them compliant and unable to resist, and therefore being used or abused or whatever. And he had come up with the idea that those transmissions could possibly be blocked if you could use something to actually block that electromagnetic transmission. Um, and I, I find that very interesting because my research is showing that that pineal gland is like a quartz, and it's no different than a radio receiver. So when you turn your radio on and you hear, like our broadcast today, if somebody is opening that gland up, you could hear a broadcast <laughs> from another dimension, which is, is, is awful scary, but yes, possible. Are there certain people, Doctor, who are more likely to uh, to be susceptible to alien abductions? Well, it's, it's interesting that also in the MUFON journal that uh, we had someone come up with a scientific study that said what kind of person ha- actually has UFO encounters. And they looked at the demographics and they found that there were three conditions that were usually present with people who had what I call encounter uh, personalities. And it seemed to me that they had a sensitivity to states of altered states of consciousness. And when we talk about altered states of consciousness, the only way that you can get in an altered state is either if you use uh, um, um, hallucinogenic drugs or if you go into a yoga position and you open yourself up for astral flight or if you have experienced great trauma, in, let's say in childhood where people have been either sexually abused or physically abused that they resolve and go into themselves in some way. In other words, it's like they're having to deal with abuse and trauma disassociation from a, from a, a psychological standpoint. So I found it interesting that um, the fact that it seems that some people want to say that the temporal lobes have a lot to do with maybe a near-death experience. I agree that you can stimulate the temporal lobe, but I find it interesting that when abduction cases happen and you leave what is what I would call the physical state that you are in, that something has happened to you, and, and it's interesting that the cases are all reported almost the same. In other words, they have the same types of sensitivities, neurological functions change, um, their emotional functions change, their awareness becomes different. So and the fact that that's happening on a large scale based on these re- this research that's being done tells you that it's a little more than just a coincidence. If you had one or two people saying they saw the same thing or had the same thing happen to them, that might be one thing. But when you've got hundreds of people who report these incidences when they're either in a hallucinated state or if they're being uh, induced, mm-hmm. which you can induce somebody to, by using DMT, or whether you're talking about abductions, it seems they all tend to come up with this same thing, that there is a universe out there where there are these beings that are either talking to them telepathically, and the only way that you could talk telepathically would be that if you had that coarse little thing in your head, this pineal gland, that you're actually hearing the voice. And I actually say that from the work that I've done with schizophrenics, that that's exactly that they are hearing from that other dimension. That it's, that it's really, they have the transmissions are open and they're actually hearing the voices. We had Dr. Um, Lee, uh, T. Lee Bowen on. Yes. 
uh, earlier this weekend. He was saying that science is actually uh, being able to prove, uh, what was it, uh, extreme low frequencies? Yes, and that the, the hair, way. that that human hair could actually be a uh, something like an antenna. <laughs> See that that's the thing that's, that's really my research is going, and that's why in Eden I tried to put it together so that you could understand mm-hmm. that this gland is very, very, very important. Yeah. And I do believe that when we talk about the third eye and the eye being opened, that there's a lot mm-hmm. of scriptures biblically that says that when your eye is open. It doesn't say eyes. It says I. And I always found that strange. Why did the Bible not use the word eyes? It says only I. And uh, looking at all the things, like, for example, the triangles with the eye, the all-seeing mm-hmm. eye sure. in it, it's, it's everywhere. So I really do believe that this gland inside of our head, in, in fact, Rob, that gland in a, in a lizard actually is a working third eye. It does actually work. So the fact that it's a lizard and it works in a lizard and we have something similar in our head, it's a little bit, uh, you, you can't say, well, we've got to dis- disprove this or act like it's not really there or it doesn't really do anything because the more we do the research on it, it seems that anything, EL- ELF waves, mm-hmm. whether they be a certain frequency, can affect that gland. And if that gland is quartz, it's no different than our cell phone. If you've got a cell phone tower and you're transmitting, you could transmit to all the people in the world if that gland were open. Fascinating. You've also done extensive research on the uh, Shroud of Turin. In your opinion, is the Shroud of Turin really the, the death cloth of Christ? Well, you know, I have heard so many people say, well, we've disproved this, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think they're keeping up with the research. I was uh, on a show with Dr. Peter Shields and uh, Dr. Barry Swartz mm-hmm. not too long ago that was out in Las Vegas, and they are really what I call the authorities now on the Shroud of Turin. And Peter had actually put together a, uh, a radio show where he had gone in and actually interviewed all the people who were on the stirrup committee back mm-hmm. in 1981. Yeah. And even in 1981, Rob, we were, we were already hearing that this was an authentic piece of material, even to the point that he had actually recorded the man who was the bishop over the cathedral there where the, tur- where the shroud is housed. And he had that man on tape saying that the Pope, which was John Paul II at that time, had come to visit him. And he had told him that that shroud was, in fact, authentic. Well, I find it interesting that also when they took the radiocarbon dating, there was a big to-do about the piece that they were going to cut. And I know Barry Swartz, in the radio show that I did with him, Said that there was, they just went round and round and round. These two guys about All where right, to Dr. Cut Joy, that we have to we have to take our break. Please stand by. Let's just uh, finish off with this when we come back. Dr. Joy Pugh is our special guest. www.drjoy.com. That's D R J O Y E. dot com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Don't go away. have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in this is your sign to thank them and if you're that friend this is us saying thank you 
Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Joy Pugh is our guest. She's got a new book out, Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666. Her website is www.drjoye.com. Before we went to the break, Dr. Joy, we were talking about the Shroud of Turin. And um, you were telling us about uh, Peter Shield, who we had on the show not very long ago, and, and you know his experience and expertise when it comes to the Shroud what makes you believe, Doctor, that the shroud is the real cloth, death cloth or death mask of Christ? Well, the fact that, like I say, when they took mm-hmm. the three pieces of the material off and sent it off to the universities, that apparently was a set deal, because I don't think anyone ever thought that someone that had textile knowledge would ever be able to look at that cloth and see that there was actually cotton woven into the linen, which was a real red flag, because that would not have been a true piece of a the uh, the shroud, and so it makes you wonder why are they delaying this? If in fact Peter had actually uh, recorded uh, John Paul II actually saying that it was real, I have always contended it was real because of the dream that I had when I was a child. And when I first saw the shroud back in the 80s, I guess it was was the first time that I'd ever seen a copy. When I saw it, I just got chill bumps and started crying because I said I have seen that person before, and I had never seen anything other than just like paintings of Jesus that people had done. I guess through Uh, just their imaging or whatever they thought Jesus looked like. But when I saw that shroud, it was a whole different ballgame for me. So when I wrote my first book about the Antichrist, I knew in looking at the shroud that it was, in fact, really real because of what I had seen. It it was exactly what I had seen. Mm -hmm. So I came at this from a whole different standpoint when people were actually talking to me about my first work and saying, well, that couldn't happen. And, of course, they were also saying cloning couldn't happen, and cloning has been going on since the days really of the Nazis and the underground laboratories there. But I, uh, I knew all along that it was going to be real. And, and, uh, and I'm like Barry and uh, Barry Swartz and Peter, they're going to come out and they're going to prove that it's really real, but it's going to be within an agenda uh, to release that information. We have about a minute left. Uh, can you tell us what you believe is the significance and what is going to happen December 21st, 2012? I think that that's going to be the start of what I would call the seven-year tribulation period according to the book of Daniel. And I think we're going to see some changes. I definitely think there's going to be uh, changes in the sun, moon, and stars. That We're going to see much of what Revelation is talking about start to unleash itself with the seven judgments, seven seals, and the type of things that are mentioned there in Revelation. So I think it's very, very significant that all these things have come to pass. 
And I do go into detail about that in, in my book, Eden, up until the, the year 2019. It's where my book goes from 2012 to 2019. So the next seven years after 2012 will be very significant for us. And uh, if anyone has any questions, Rob, they can go to my website, mm-hmm. and I do have a link there for an email. And if they've got any questions, I would love to hear from them. Be glad to answer those questions if they do have any. Dr. Joy, as always, a great pleasure having you with us here in the Exxon. I want to thank you so much, and congratulations on yet another wonderful book. Please keep your great work up, and we look forward to the next time you join us here in the Exxon. Sounds great, Rob. Thank you for having me on your show. Take care, Doctor. Bye-bye now. Exxon Nation, Dr. Joy Pugh has been our guest to this hour, www.drjoye.com. That's drjoye.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, here, right here from the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. Whatever you do, don't go away. that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in this is your sign to thank them and if you're that friend this is us saying thank you now get a sausage McMuffin sausage biscuit sausage burrito or hash browns choose two for $2.50 enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2 price of participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal single item at regular price ba 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 